listening to PetLifeRadio.com. It's OBEHAVE with Arden Moore, the show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Join Arden as she travels coast to coast to help millions better understand why cats and dogs do what they do. Get the latest scoop on famous faces. They're perfectly pampered pets in Who's Walking Who in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails. Garner great pet tips and have a doggone fur-flying fun time. So get ready for the pause and applause as we unleash your all-behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome to the O Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. On today's show, we're going to turn the spotlight on golden oldies. I'm certainly referring to our beloved senior dogs. You know, we really do love them, but we may not know how to properly care for them as their muzzles gray. Fortunately, help is here. Our special guest is, in my humble opinion, the world's number one veterinary behaviorist. He is a best-selling author, in-demand TV guest, and he takes on the most challenging dog and cat behavior cases at Tufts University. He is also editor of a breakthrough book just came out. It's called Good Old Dog. It includes vital information from the top veterinarians at Tufts University. Please give pause and applause to Dr. Nicholas Dodman. Hey, welcome to the show, Dr. Nick. Good to be here. I'm glad you're one of my Thank buds, you for having too. Me on again. We haven't golfed yeah, yet. Yeah, we've known We go back. Yeah, we go back way. We're like senior dogs almost, only our muzzles aren't gray yet, but who knows. Um, we're gonna, <laughs> okay, we're going to get ready to discover how to make your senior dog's years truly golden ones right after we take this commercial break. So, sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a pause. For furry ones, actually, sit and stay. All Behave will be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. All Behave is back with more tail-wagging ways to achieve harmony in the household with your pets. Now, back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome back to the All Behave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I'm delighted that our special guest today is Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He is a world-renowned animal behaviorist, a best-selling author. In fact, a few of his books are on my bookshelf. They include The Dog Who Loved Too Much, the Cat Who Cried for Help, and The Well-Adjusted Dog. Dr. Dodman has been on Oprah. That's awesome. The Today Show, Good Morning America, 2020, CNN. 
He has been on NPR everywhere. He serves as columnist for Martha Stewart's Whole Living magazine, and he does the blog for Victoria Stillwell's new website called Positively.com. As you all recall, Victoria was a recent guest on our show. I love her work. And now Dr. Nick is making a return visit to our show to share some gems from his latest book, Good Old Dog, Expert Advice for Keeping Your Aging Dog Happy, Healthy, and Comfortable. Dr. Dodman is serving as editor of this book that features the faculty from Tufts University. Also assisting on this book was journalist Lawrence Lindner. I had to get all the credits out there, Dr. Nick. Make sure everybody's happy. Get everybody credited, right? You did a good job, yeah. Okay, okay. Good, Arden. Good, Arden. Okay, so we can get started. You know, just like us, our dogs are living longer. What defines senior status in dogs? Well, in a word, or actually in a sentence, um, when your dog has passed through that age, which would be calculated to be 75% of his anticipated lifespan. Mm. So that's when you're hitting the senior years. That doesn't define sort of geriatric, but you're, you're going from the, you know, the first quarter is your youth and the middle part is your active adult life. Then the last quarter for a dog or a person is the senior sort of golden years when lots of good things are going on in terms of your memories and relationships. But unfortunately, in some cases, the wheels start to fall off. <laughs> okay. And it differs with the dog, doesn't it, based on size? That's one thing I think people don't always understand. I noticed in the book you yeah. have actually a, a dog's age in people's year based on, you know, some of the weights. Yeah, there's a little chart there. So for fun, you can, uh, you know, take, say you've got a 10-year-old Yorkie uh, that weighs sort of 10 or 12 pounds, and you can look at 10 or 12 pounds, and the equivalent age in human years might be 60. The factor there is 6, 6 times 10. But if you happen to have a Newfoundland um, that weighs 110 pounds, you go down the 110 pound mark and a 10-year-old might be equivalent to 80 in human years. So the factor there is 8. So it kind of ranges roughly from 6 to 8 depending on the size of the dog. And breed obviously comes into it too. So it's an attempt to give people some idea. It's not super accurate. And I, I did have a person call me up and say that their Afghan had lived to be something like 32, um, which is kind of off the charts and was wow. actually very hard to believe. Because we look, we see something like um, 8,000 um, older patients per year, and we went back through our records, and the oldest one, uh, I know there are older dogs than this, but the oldest one that we had checking here at Tufts Cummings Veterinary School was um, 21. That was the oldest, yeah. I think that, I think somebody was fudging on the Afghan over there. 32, please. I, I don't know. But 8,000 cases just with involving senior dogs at Tufts School. Yeah. And it's called the Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine. I guess that's probably yeah. what prompted you guys to want to be able to do this book. I mean, it is a very stellar vet school. And listeners, I'm serving as editor of their cat publication called Catnip. There's also a publication called Your Dog that features people like Dr. Nick Dodman and the staff at Tufts. So uh, I'm urging all of you to get subscriptions, right? We should do that. It's ad-free, and it's the latest in vet medicine, behavior, nutrition, health, and we had to do a little plug right there for our, our newsletters, humbly. <laughs> yeah, and I think you, you know my chairman, John Berg, who's in charge of Tufts newsletters and publications, and he has uh, striven for years um, to really make these as scientific and accurate as possible. I mean, unlike some other newsletters, this is sort of 
pure fact, um, but written in a you know easy to read sort of bouncy fashion, and you know sort of cleaned up all the cutesies which were there ten years ago, and now we've got I think pretty accurate um, information packed newsletter, so that's good. Yeah. So, how did you guys get the idea of wanting to do this book? And I mean, you've you had to orchestrate some of the top minds at Tufts Veterinary School because these chapters cover a lot of different uh, aspects of care. So, give us a little background on how this book came to be. Well, the, the history of Tufts books goes back to one that didn't really break out of orbit. It was called um, Animal ER. And it was, you know, tales from the emergency room, some humorous, some, you know, sort of heart-rending. Um, and it was a good book written by Vicki Croke, who's a Boston Globe uh, writer at that time and wrote some best-selling books of her own. And um, it actually was the Good Morning America said we'd like to feature this book on the show, but the dean of the day uh, dithered, and you can't dither with Good Morning America. And 40, uh, 48 hours after he hadn't made his mind up, um, that opportunity went away, so the book never really took off. Um, not to be deterred, we launched a second book. Um, we know that there are, I think it's nine million new puppies born every year, and right. we know that the books are not super up to date that are out there at the minute or written by a single person who's got an opinion but isn't really necessarily uh, the gold standard. So we wrote a book called Puppies First Steps, thinking it might nudge the art of raising a puppy uh, amongst Newski out of first place because they always sell 50,000 hard copies a year. We thought, well, you know, we have the up-to-date information. Maybe people will buy a book. And I guess it wasn't an unqualified success. I mean, I think it should have filled um, a useful niche. But it, it sort of did okay, but it wasn't sort of stellar. And while, you know, that was dealing with puppies, I thought to myself, uh, I'm going to write another book of my own. And what I thought I'd do is share the secrets of the consulting room uh, is my sort of seven-pronged approach to owning a dog. I thought that that book should be called Dog Ownership 101, the basic four on the floor, what you need to do when you have a dog, how to be a leader, whatever. So that was called the well-adjusted dog. Right. And then we sat down and had a brainstorming session, and we had the, you know, the ER book, we had the puppies book, I had the well-adjusted dog book, and there was a big gap at the other end of life. No one really done a serious book for the older dog. And yet, like people, the population of the elderly uh, dogs is increasing thanks to better veterinary care and better relationships with owners, family members, and all that. So, wow, a big void. Let's do one and get the information out there so people will know what to do. It's a kind of resource they can do without spending a fortune on a specialist, you know, just to educate themselves and uh, it seems we did hit uh, a niche this time because this book is flying off the shelves. It's an unqualified success. Yeah, we were just talking. I saw dog. very, very high uh, up on the Amazon.com. And, you know, that's congratulations. But you're right. It's unbelievable. Even in this generation of aging baby boomers that there hasn't mm -hmm. been a book like this. But we need to let people know what sets this book apart from somebody else writing a book about senior dogs. Can you go through some of the sections? Because I'm looking at the people that contributed, and, and they have a lot of Vanna White initials after their names. They're pretty credentialed. Well, that's right. So there's about seven or eight board-certified specialists in all the different areas who were interviewed for their uh, input. So, for example, the chapter on nutrition of the senior dog, the information provider is Dr. Lisa Freeman. Uh, Lisa Freeman 
is what we call a triple jumbo because jumbo is the Tufts emblem. And right. she's got three degrees from Tufts. That makes her a triple jumbo. So she's got a master's degree, a doctorate of veterinary medicine, and a PhD in nutrition. Plus, she's board certified. So really, it doesn't get any higher than that. Um, <laughs> That's true. She advises the pet food companies what they should be doing, never mind individual owners, but she does run some clinics too and, and helps people to put together good rations. So, But she opines about these senior diets. I mean, and the question out there might be, should I, shouldn't I? And when should right. I? And all those questions are addressed. And you know, basically, in a nutshell, there is no such thing as a senior diet. If they put the word senior on the bag, it means whatever the manufacturer means it to mean, wants it to mean, because there's, there's no standard for senior dogs. There's nothing put out by the Center for Veterinary Medicine branch of the FDA. Um, but there is for puppies and there is for adult dogs, but just nothing for the older dogs. The work is being done, but it hasn't been done. So some have higher carbs, some have lower carb, some have higher protein, lower protein, some have different additives in, but it's all just a little sprinkle, a little dab will do you and see what happens. And actually then to change your dog, she winds up um, just arbitrarily to a senior diet because he crosses the age of 10 actually right. can be a disservice and can cause him either to lose weight or gain weight. So that's, those are the kind of experts that weigh in. And whether it's orthopedics and arthritis or surgical conditions or you know, the dreaded condition of laryngeal paralysis where Labradors lose their bark and can't breathe, um, you know, everything's addressed by the experts. How do you deal with the situation and what is the outlook? We're speaking with Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He is the editor of the book called Good Old Dog, Expert Advice for Keeping Your Aging Dog Happy, Healthy, and Comfortable. It includes, as he was saying, amazing information from the faculty at Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University. It's, in my opinion, one of the top veterinary schools on the planet. And we're going to take a quick break, but I want everybody to keep tuning in because we're going to be giving away a copy of Good Old Dog. We have to have a code word, Dr. Nick, so... What would be a code word that people would have to email me with to be able to get their paws on a copy of this book? Yeah, how about my dog's name? Okay. All right. Rusty, Rusty. right? All right. Nick's got a cool yeah. dog named Rusty. So the first person who emails Arden at fourleggedlife.com with the code word Rusty will get a copy of Good Old Dog. And we're also going to be giving away a book in my newsletter, Arden Moore Knows Pets. So I appreciate that, Nick. So let's go pay for this mm -hmm. show by taking a commercial break. Everybody, sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a walk on the red carpet, of course. All Behave will be back in a flash right after these messages. Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, the founder of Whitegate PR. We have been specializing in PR and marketing in the pet industry for over 10 years. If you have a pet product or service you would like to promote, give us a call. We can help create awareness for your brand on TV, radio, magazines, newspapers, and blogs. Feel free to reach me directly at 619-414-9307 or learn more on our website at whitegatepr.com or follow us on Facebook. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Hi, this is Betty White, and I'm inviting you to tune in to the Behave Show with Arden Moore on Pet Life Radio. We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper, and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to Behave. Here's Arden. 
Welcome back to the Obehave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I'm happy that we have Dr. Nicholas Dodman from Tufts on the show. He's been on here before, and he is here to talk about senior dogs and the book Good Old Dog that he orchestrated with a team of uh, geniuses at uh, Tufts University's Veterinary School. I think it's fitting, Nick, that one of the uh, testimonials we get is from another ageless wonder, Betty White, who said, a great book on a very important subject, and she's getting close to 90. Yeah, she went a little bit further. That was the first part of the quote that they used on the back cover, but it was also that she had recently lost a pet of her own, and um, she wishes she'd had the book available to you know help her through a difficult time. So she's a wonderful uh, person, and you know associated with the Morris Animal Foundation, and a true animal lover, friend of animals, friend of Tufts. Yeah, she had a Shih Tzu that almost made it to 17 years. And uh, so getting people to write testimonials for this book, you've got Temple Grandin. Her story just received a Golden Globe Award. Stanley Corrin, you know, he's pretty top-notch. Uh, Bash Debra. You've got some pretty uh, heavy hitters to be able to give praise for the good old dog. I think you're right. I think you touched on something. There is a void. I mean, our pets are living longer, but uh, I think this is going to be a book that's going to serve as the reference point for caring for our aging dogs. Yeah, but so many people are, you know, bouncing around out there really not knowing what to do. And, you know, in the book, um, we talk about, for example, um, how sometimes a relatively simple procedure can buy years of wonderful you know, older, golden years of life, um, happiness and running around and relationships. And one of the stories is about uh, a Labrador who comes in with the dreaded condition of laryngeal paralysis. So older dog, you know, around at 12 or 13, begins to, his voice begins to change, his bark is different, and then he starts to have difficulty breathing and he comes in and long story short, the owners, first of all, refused the uh, corrective surgery, but eventually he was in extremis he, he couldn't survive without a breathing tube down. And they said, okay, go ahead and do it. And he was completely um, fixed. And two years later, he came back in because he'd cut his foot uh, running around playing on a beach. Oh so my from almost dying of this dreaded condition, there's a procedure called laryngeal tieback and got him two years of not just staying alive, but actually running around and you know chasing balls and swimming and everything. Got his life back and... The antithesis of that is somebody who perhaps didn't read this book or should have read it was we were down at McLean Hospital doing some uh, fancy MRIs the other day and the technician said, you know, I don't know whether you know anything about this, but uh, my brother and law and sister went to Ireland and while they were there, we had to babysit their dogs and one of them was a 13-year-old black lab and he seemed to be having terrible difficulty in breathing, sort of wheezing. <sighs> and I got so worried about it, you know, I was positively shaking. I thought, oh my God, he's really ill. And so we called Ireland and they said, oh, don't worry about it. It's always like that. That's how he always is. And then the woman said to her husband, you know, do you think we should um, bring him to the vet because I think he's in terrible state? And the husband said, well, no, you go down there, you're just going to spend a lot of money. And, you know, they told you it was just normal for this dog. So against her better judgment, they just went to bed that night and woke up and the dog was dead. It has asphyxiated. Oh, my gosh. She said, I thought maybe he had something wrong with his epiglottis. And I said, no, he had laryngeal paralysis and he suffocated. And she said, oh, don't tell me that. I said, I'm telling you that, and you should tell them that they just caused this dog to lose his life because they didn't pay attention. And the fact is, if they'd read Good Old Dog, that wouldn't have happened. Right, exactly. I think you've touched on something. People need to realize not to dismiss something as simply 
old age when our dogs are changing in their behavior or all can you give us some tips on the importance of having at least once a year maybe twice a year wellness visits and some tips to be able to know how to work with your veterinarian maybe to address a condition before it gets too advanced yeah i think routine physical exam and blood work is necessary for dogs over a certain age and that certain age depends a bit on the breed you know so it could be you know six or seven for a large breed it could be 10 or 12 for a smaller breed but whenever you're crossing into that latter period of life it's a good idea to like you do for people and the the age for people is about 50 um i know because i am an old dog too and after 50, you know, they start to call for routine tests. You know, have you had your hearing checked recently? Um, have you been to see the ophthalmologist? And then there's a horrible word, sigmoidoscopy and colonoscopy. These oh, yeah. things come along after 50. You've got all that to look forward to. But you know, the fact is, if you see something coming, you can avoid it um, or uh, treat it, get rid of it uh, uh, in many cases. So it's as well to stay heads up like they didn't do on the Titanic when that iceberg was in the water. It'll, playing music and dancing around they should have been looking out the front of the ship so that's what you've got to do <laughs> and I, I must have been a guy ahead of my time because I used to work for a practice kind of like the country vet about 40 years ago riding around to seeing dogs and cats and horses I was doing the James Harriet thing and the, the practice was beautiful but it was kind of quiet so I said to the boss Mr. Gover I don't know if he's still alive now but I said to him uh, you know, listen, you know, to build the practice, what you should do is this routine wellness care because it's better, better for the pet. And so we bought, he said, go ahead and buy some lab equipment. So I bought some Boring uh, lab equipment and dogs that were a certain age came in and they got physical exams. We'd say, you know, your next appointment is next year. We were doing it 40 years ago. So it's certainly time for people with older dogs to make sure their vet gets a chance to run the healing hands over it and pull some... You know, just routine blood work. I mean, I know I have a, you know, some cell counts, you know, maybe not a complete blood count, but they, they measure, you know, red cells and white cells and a few other things. I mean, a liver test, a kidney test, you know, it's a little panel every single year. And I'm, ha- I'm glad they do it. And I'm glad they haven't been elevated so far. I agree. I get to have my colonostomy in a, in a couple of weeks. Yippee, I can't wait. But we do need mm-hmm. to be responsible for our own health and certainly for our dogs. In the book, Good Old Dog, your background is behavioral medicine, and you do run the uh, clinic at the Animal Behavior Clinic at Tufts. It gets cases literally from all over the, the world. In the book, you talked a little bit about dementia, and I think sometimes uh, people don't understand that just like in us, our pets could get the form of Alzheimer's, and you address this. You were talking about, I think it was Buddy, and there's also a chart here, a cognitive decline checklist. Point out some tips that maybe uh, will benefit our listeners that may be tips that uh, say, ooh, the dog may be heading toward dementia. Many dogs, like a lot of people, are what are called successful ages. So just because you're old doesn't mean that you are necessarily going to suffer from dementia. And there's plenty of people around, maybe not plenty, but I've seen uh, television programs on centenarians who are in the process of restoring a piano or planting a garden or or, learning to play the cello or something. I mean, if you're interested and active, you can be super sharp at at 100 for a person and maybe 15, 16, 17 for a dog. So a lot of them do age successfully. And okay, they slow down a bit, but this is just normal aging changes. Others don't. Um, They sort of fall off the edge of a psychological cliff, as it were. And they, they show signs like disorientation, 
um, altered social interactions with people, uh, sleep disturbances, and house oiling when the dog was formerly house trained. Sleep disturbances are kind of key, actually, because the dog sleeps more in a 24-hour cycle, but actually sleeps very fitfully at night. And in humans with Alzheimer's, they do the same thing. They have a thing called sundowner syndrome. So in all the old people's home, they have to be very careful to make sure doors and windows are locked. And uh, it's almost like a prison because they will wander around. I know because my mum was one of those uh, before she died. So unfortunately, I had a lot of experience with Alzheimer's. But the, the cognitive thing in the dog, you know, they get stuck behind furniture, stand at the wrong side of the door to go out, go someplace, seemingly forget why they went there. You know, all kinds of disturbances and orientation and sort of reasoning, sometimes failing to recognize people, not responding to their name, not greeting their owner when they come home. And then that cardinal sign of having accidents in the house which are not the result of a medical disease. You go to the vet and the vet says, I don't know, his kidneys are okay, his blood is okay, he doesn't have a urinary tract infection, beats me. Well, then you go into that chart that's in the chapter and do the checks. And right. when you've got a certain array of checks, you can say, oops, looks like it. Like in people, it is a diagnosis of exclusion that you have to rule out all the other causes, whether it's you know low thyroid or um, some confusion or poisoning or whatever, or with the kidneys, uh, kidney problems causing house oiling. All that has to be ruled out, and then you're left with a condition which, in many ways, including the pathology, is very much like human Alzheimer's. Now, in that, you, you talked about some uh, treatment options, including diet and uh, medication. What are some of the things that you can suggest once it's ruled out that it isn't a medical condition causing the house soiling uh, and the dog is getting a little bit lost in a corner? What are some things that qualified people like yourself can maybe at least address the situation on? Well, a vet being informed of you know, owners can't make a diagnosis, but they can right. go along with this check sheet and say, I suspect my dog has this. And then the vet will look it over and say, yes, I concur. This does seem like a likely diagnosis. And there is a veterinary treatment. It's a prescription drug called Anapril made mm-hmm. by Pfizer. And it actually works pretty well. It works by increasing dopamine. So if anyone who's seen the film The Awakenings by Oliver Sacks, you'll notice that those people who were otherwise vegetative sort of come to life. And that does happen with dogs, but about a third of dogs are very much improved. Uh, a third shows some improvements, and a third, unfortunately, doesn't work because maybe it's more of a syndrome than a specific disease. But either way, you've got a 66% chance of at least some improvement treatment with Anaparil. Uh, but of course, this is a progressive disease, so you will eventually lose the battle. But you can buy some useful quality time, and the lights are on again, and someone is in, so that's very good. Um, Another thing you can do is to change the diet at the very first signs, which is another good reason to do this annual checkup. If I was doing these annual checks on an older dog, I would have people fill up, fill in the um, Alzheimer check sheet every year. If the checks are increasing at that point, very early on, you can switch to a diet called um, Hills BD and B backslash D. Um, They never admit to this, but I think the B stands for brain and the D stands for diet, so like brain diet enriched with antioxidants, which, you know, from lab animals like rats eating blueberries and other experiments, uh, antioxidants have been shown to uh, mop up all these nasty old free radicals and at least prevent the, or at least slow down the progression of the disease. And there are tons of other things we can do, which we allude to in the book. There's some human Alzheimer treatments that very veterinarians can venture forth when there's nothing to lose, um, drugs like Namenda, um, 
which is works a completely different way from Anapro, or one called Aricept, which again works a different way. So you can attack the problem in different angles from different points of view. And, and there's also some nutraceutical things that might help. We mentioned something like, say, acetyl-L-carnitine, it's amino acid, or coenzyme Q10, even, and other things. So there's lots of things that can be done to resume normal transmission for a while. And right. you know, we, yeah. we point out in the book that if you buy the dog a year, that could be equivalent to, let's say, seven in a human's life. And that's a long time. And, and folks, uh, Dr. Dodman also has many credentials after his name. He's not only a veterinarian. You're board certified in anesthesiology and veterinary behavior and uh, pharmacology, correct? I don't know all your proper credentials. Well, I just but, got the, you know, the two, really. Anesthesiology is, it was my first uh, specialty subject, and I was doubly bored then because I got the specialty qualification in Britain and when I'm here they said we don't believe you, you know, we don't know what this qualification <laughs> is, you're going to have to take the American exam so I said that twice, I'm one of two people in the world who are doubly board certified in anesthesiology veterinary, wow. that is, although I have actually been, spent a lot of time in human ORs as well, and in human classes for that, in answer to another question about the good old dog can you anesthetize a good old dog? Absolutely, Yes. and I mean we don't say it in the book but I'd say it right now that I believe the state of anesthesia is actually safer than being awake breathing room air. Wow. And it's only when vets make mistakes like um, withholding water for 12 hours and a dog who's got borderline sort of incipient renal disease, that's a big mistake. Or using heavy-handed doses of drugs causing prolonged recoveries. I mean, but, you know, the only, if you think about it, if you're in an intensive care situation, you know, you don't want to think about that, but uh, what they do is they put in um, it's ABC, airway, control breathing and circulation. During anesthesia, it's the same thing. You have an airway in, you control breathing, look after the circulation. Anesthesia, intensive care, the only difference is about you know, 1% isofluorine. Wow, that, that's a very good the point. The dangerous time is, yeah, so <laughs> you can always have a dog, and that's those people have a dog with, another chapter we have is more, part of the chapter is about dental disease and how important it is not to allow it to progress. And there are people out there who've got dogs that are, have foul mouths, you know, like, uh, I don't mean they're swearing, but they've got tartar all over their teeth, halitosis, periodontal disease, you know, red gums. And they say, and sometimes even the vet says, mm, he's too old to take anesthesia as junk. You know, so okay. yeah, it's much, um, to, to sit there with a mouth that's seething with germs is much more dangerous than to undergo an anesthetic. But you do need somebody who who knows what they're doing and not just someone who's, got a formula, you know, dog weighs 50 pounds, I always give them X, you know, they've got to be thinking. Yeah, because also every time they're swallowing, all that bad stuff is going down to their other organs, so they could be set up for heart disease and other problems, correct? If you yeah, don't fix the disease, mouth. Yeah, and also, it's, it, the, the mouth is like the entrance to the body, and if it's disgusting, then all that disgusting stuff goes in and can poison the system, causing, you know, septic conditions and whatever stuff. So, Mm-hmm. Really bad idea to let the mouth get bad, and you can start earlier. You know, we have a some dental advice in puppies' first steps, but you know whether it's toothbrushing or regular dental profies, but it shouldn't stop when the dog hits ten because you're scared of anesthesia. It should continue because the dirty mouth is a bad situation. And we talk about little things that are sort of more conservative dental treatments, like these dental chews, particularly ones that are approved by a certain group. You know, we is mentioned that the all, uh, oral, names and oral health, the veterinary. What is it? V O H C. Isn't it? Isn't that the correct? Uh, yes, Veterinary Oral Health Council or something, VOHC, and, and if it's approved by them, then it is shown to, uh, I don't know, it's council, it might be something else. But a society it, or something, little, yeah. 
something like that. This, this, I think you're right with a C, the OHC, and it's in the book anyway, but these little dental chews that are approved by them have been shown in trials to actually be effective at keeping some of the tartar down and, you know, sort of removing plaque and sort of at least keeping things sort of in the right direction, but it doesn't mean you don't need to go see the dentist. It just means this is a good way to go that maybe reduces the frequency that you need to do these cleanings. Yeah, I talked to Dr. Yu. Is that the correct uh, name? The lady from uh, Tufts is the veterinary dental specialist, and she said to look for is that, that how label. how you pronounce it? I think so, so yeah. Her name's Jane Yu, J-O-O. We call it J-J. Yeah. It's a lot easier because she, she's <laughs> kind of uh, uh, Chinese-American or Chinese descent or something, but... Yeah, JJ is much easier than than that. Yeah, well, Dr. JJ said, look for that label on the package. And I noticed in the new, what do you call, greenies for my dogs, they're eight years old. And I saw that Mm. on the label, and that made me happy. So I'm trying to look for that label for any kind of uh, a dental. It's just like you say, it's a complement to the dental cleaning that should be performed by a veterinarian. Now, we've, we've talked a little bit about dental care, anesthesia, the value of the proper nutrition, the fact that, you know, dogs can get doggy dementia. Old dogs can learn new tricks, correct? I mean, let's talk a little bit about some behavior things or environmental enrichments that we can do as owners for our older dogs to just make their life more fulfilling. Yeah, they, they can. Uh, old dogs can learn new tricks. They just take a little longer, you know, just like us. I mean, it's much easier to learn a new language when you're eight or nine than it is when you're 80 or 90, but they can learn and, um, and it's a good thing to do because keeping the brain active, whether it's people or dogs, thinking, uh, not living in a vacuum, just doing the same old thing, switching up the environment, um, social interactions, uh, education, which is a training to do new things, um, all, all of these things keep the mind active. So, uh, you know, just like with muscles, it's like you either use it or you lose it. Right. So if they can't be doing uh, doggy puzzles, maybe just changing the route on your walk or the pace. I mean, that's something simple that they could be doing or have them maybe uh, get some of their food each day through uh, hunting through a food puzzle. I mean, these are really all, good all examples. All of the above. Right. You, yeah, you give I, I really good true. examples. Even said, with, even said with people, I bought a book um, about this for my mother-in-law. It wasn't meant to be an insult, but, you know, she's 80. <laughs> And it was uh-huh. a book, and it said, you know, like, uh, when you're in the shower, you know, try closing your eyes and standing on one leg and uh, take a different route to work and do this. So basically switching it up, just not doing the same old thing. The worst thing to do for a dog or person really is to get into a rut. Right. It sounds like, uh, Dr. Dodman, that this is a very, I mean, you've written a number of great books, but I'm sensing from you that this one carries a lot of special to you. I mean, you mentioned about your mom, and you and I are both past the 50 mark. I mean, you've done a lot of books and you've written a lot of things. Uh, how do you size up being the editor of this book and why it means so much to you? Well, I'm very proud of the success of the book. Um, so far, 27,500 copies in print, flying off the shelves. Oftentimes, books don't get a second wave of publicity, which the publisher is going to do because they always reward success and, and sort of turn away from failure and this book's getting the second shot through March and I'm hoping it's going to become a perennial so I, I'm just very happy to have my name on it and I think it's going to help dogs everywhere you know whether it's a, a gimpy old dog and the owner goes well he's cranky and he can't get in the car anymore because he's old and you can read about arthritis and uh, how losing weight and providing um, sort of a modest amount of exercise and 
feeding these, uh, you know, the glucosamine chondroiting sulfate with specific brand names or HIL-GD for joint disease, you know, for joint treatments, um, or even these non-steroidal anti-inflammatories which can really turn a dog around, you know, from a dog who's sort of dragging along, they can get a spring in their step and, you know, it's, it's back to life as usual. I mean, so all of these useful people, we think it's going to help, uh, I think it's going to help dogs and dog owners it could and should prolong active life and uh, generally a, a great boon. So that's what we do at the university is we um, sort of teach students. So education is what we have, you know, knowledge and we pass it on. And we, we also like to do this outreach to the public directly, sort of grassroots, dog owners. And you can hit a lot of people that way rather than one at a time in the clinic. Oh, I agree. We're talking to Dr. Nicholas Dobbin. He is the editor of the book, Good Old Dog. We're giving away one copy of the book on our radio show to the first two emails, Arden at Four-Legged Life, with the code word. Which one is that, Dr. Nick? Rusty. And that's his dog. dog. <laughs> and what kind of dog is Rusty for everybody to give him a little? You just recently well, got every, him. Yeah, I got him when he was eight months, and he's two years now. So I've had him about a year and four months. And everybody who looks at him says, is that a Ridgeback? <laughs> and actually the answer is no and then some people say he looks like he's got bugs around him because he's got the sort of sandy color I mean rusty color sandy rusty coat right with a black muzzle like Homer Simpson and a, oh, it's a long muzzle it's not a squished in face though like a boxer and a white chest in you know, like a white bib so you know he's very cute and he's got these flip-flop ears that are sort of uh, you know, look like a piece, piece of paper that someone screwed up into a bowl and thrown into the trash can but they slip and they flop and they do funny things and they move around. So he looks like Marmaduke. He's a great dog. You know, he's, he's the best. He came to work with me this morning and uh, yeah, we went for a romp in the snow. So that wasn't so thrilling. But, um, yeah, he's just a terrific dog at home and out in the field. He's getting a bit pushy on the field. We have to keep him in track. He's, he's not an aggressive dog, he, but he goes bonking with his nose. and He can annoy some dogs who don't want to be bonked with the nose. <laughs> I think he's in good hands with you. I don't know. My money's on you. I'm also happy that you're part of Victoria Stillwell's uh, team of Positively.com. She has admired yeah. you from afar, and she was so excited that she finally did get to meet you. And that's a pretty good site because you guys are all about positive reinforcement training techniques. And, and you know, she purposely picked um, top people like you. So I'm glad to see that you're part of that as well. Yeah, we're on the same team. Uh, we uh, mutual admirers. She's a great lady, and we filmed one episode together um, down in New York area. And, oh, for the uh, it's that, me or the dog. Yeah, it's me or the dog, and that that should be coming out in about March. So you'll see her and I interacting together, having big chats in her caravan that goes around with her, and exercising a dog on a field who'd never been off leash before ever. Wow. So yeah, she said she needed your fun. help because it was a really severe case. This season mm-hmm. is all in New York City, and so you basically helped her greatly, and she appreciated that. So well, we'll tune into that. Yeah. It's me or the dog. I was just looking uh, yesterday. My wife sent me a video. And it's a very old video. I don't know if you've seen it. Jimmy Stewart talking to John Lee Carson and reading his poem about his dog, Bo. Have you seen that? No. I put it on my... You know, on my Facebook page, uh, I've got two actually. One is my professional one with Dr. Nicholas Dodman, whatever, and the other one's Nick Dodman. It's on that more personal one, but it's 
he sits there and he reads about this dog called Bo and the, and the things that Bo's doing and how he's naughty and he steals a bone and does this and he gets towards the end and he's talking about how Bo jumps up on the bed for a companionship and he's petting him and, and at the end he says, sadly, you know, Bo has passed on and sometimes I still imagine him climbing up on the bed and I reach my hand down and he's not there and how I wish that wasn't so. And as he's reading his own poem about his own dog, he begins to tear up. And, he's, you know, and I thought that particular thing, which people can probably find on the web somewhere, it's just terrific and it explains the sentiment behind good old dog that it's just, um, you know, such a powerful bond that can be formed that, you know, he's tearing up, Johnny Carson's leaning forward and patting him on the shoulder and the dog called Bo, what a beautiful poem. Actually, I'm looking at the link now. It's, it's on um, silver and gold and the dot net, whatever okay. that is. But there's it's also the backslash v backslash j underscore s dot html. But I bet you get it with silver and gold and the dot net. I think people should should look at that and and think, you know, good old dog. It really explains his poem. Explains everything. It sort of predates sort of Marley and me, and and this is great man reading this great poem. Sort of epic um, in lauding his dog and, and promoting his demise. Well, I agree. You know, Roger Karras, the famous quote Our dogs don't make our whole life, they make our lives whole. And people yeah. like yourself are helping people understand not only the great bond we have with our dogs, but also how we can bring out the best with them with great veterinary care. I am so happy you've been on our show. We're speaking with Dr. Nicholas Dodman. He is the editor of the new book called Good Old Dog that features the faculty from Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University. It is the book you need to read, and it's really going to help you and your aging dog. Hey, we're all going to age, and I'm just delighted that you could be a guest on our show today. All right. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure, and we'll do it again one of these days. All right. I'm very grateful that we had Dr. Nicholas Dodman on our show. Go get the book, Good Old Dog. And for the first person who emails Arden at Four-Legged Life with the code word RUSTY, you will get a free copy. So until next time, this is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two-, three-, and four-leggers out there. Oh, behave! Coast to coast and around the world, it's all behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, this is the place for a special paparazzi treat. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.